We've been, we've been talking uh, here at Living Hope Family Church about returning to the ancient way. And uh, that's uh, been a theme since Tammy and I came back from our Camino. And as some of you know, we took the summer, early in the summer, we had sabbatical and we went and walked across Spain. We walked our little legs off in Spain and uh, 500 miles over the course of 40 days. And it was really quite an amazing experience. But coming back from that, my heart was really challenged uh, to return to this idea of pilgrimage and uh, to just focus on that for the, for the fellowship for the next while. Uh, to talk about the way that leads to life, the way that leads to um, God's heart and to the shalom of the Lord in our lives here, ultimately leading us to the very presence of the Lord uh, in the day of the Lord's glory. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we just couldn't do that uh, without walking again. So Tammy and I decided, hey, let's walk again. And we walked 70 miles, walked our legs off again here in Cape Cod. And I'm wondering why I did that. And uh, I don't know that I ever want to do that again. <laughs> wow, it was something. But um, it reminded me that uh, our walk with the Lord is sometimes absolutely astonishing and amazing and exciting and exhilarating. And sometimes it is just endurance and it's mundane and it is tiring and exhausting. I mean, I'm going to give you a sales pitch. You're all going to want to be born again Christians after this sales pitch. Walking with Jesus is hard work. Anybody want to sign up? <laughs> Richard, I don't know about you, but uh, there were a couple of times when we were out there with you guys and I'm looking at that bike trail that just stretches dead straight. You know, it's cutting down through the middle of the Cape and it's just straight as until you can't see anymore. It's straight. And you're at this end, and you've got to be at that end. And at that end, there's going to be another stretch as far as the eye can see, and it's all still straight. And I'm thinking, man, I wish there were some curves in this road. Sometimes it's nothing but just one foot in front of the next, and you've got to keep going. There's no markers to show you where you're going. Maybe once in a while, a mile marker if you don't miss it. But, boy, you just have to keep going. You don't know when it's going to stop. And, uh, and I want to tell you an encouraging word. It does come to an end. <laughs> All good things come to an end. And um, at some point, your journey will be over. But there are times when our walk with Jesus is just not exciting. And, uh, and I want to tell you it's still worth it. I want to tell you that there is absolutely no other way. And that Jesus didn't promise us excitement on the journey. He promised us that he would never leave us or forsake us. Yeah, he did promise us hardship, and he did promise us difficulty, and that's something we've just got to get used to. Our legs are going to be sore uh, as we walk this pilgrimage, and they're going to be things that we leave behind, choices that we make uh, that leave things in our rearview mirror. And, uh, and sometimes you may think, wow, I wish I'd not left that behind. I wish I still had that. But the glory of the Lord is revealed in his presence, and his presence is moving, and I want to move with that presence. And so we just keep doing what God has told us to do, and we keep doing the right thing. It's been 20 years that Tammy and I have been here at Living Hope Family Church. And 20 years ago, uh, I remember Shauna was just a little thing, and uh, she would sit up front here, and she would do the little acetate overhead projector. You guys remember that? We had a screen that was... In fact, you can still see the marks in the, you can still see the marks. And yeah, you were, she was listed in the ministry report every year, the annual general, <laughs> annual general review or whatever it was. There's where Shana, Shana was, uh, was listed as the overhead girl. So um, it was a very important job. Nobody could read the words or sing the songs unless Shana was right on it with that 
You know, sometimes it would be upside down. Sometimes it was out of focus. But she was always there, faithful as all get out. You know, there was nothing exciting about that job, although for some reason she wanted to do it. God bless you. You know, here she is now. She's a mom, and her kids are almost the same age that she was when she was doing that. And, and I'm just so honored and blessed to still be the pastor here, to see you growing up, and to see your family being raised up around you, and to see what the Lord is doing in your, in your life. And your heart is on fire for Jesus, uh, and you have your own unique uh, way of expressing that. And that's wonderful. And it's, it's, you love the Lord, and you're committed to Him. And you know what? Life has been sometimes exciting and sometimes just a long stretch of mundane. But here you are. And, uh, and I want to say that there is nothing wrong. Listen carefully. There is nothing wrong with simple. I think that our, our culture is looking for pizzazz. Fourth of July, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for fireworks. And when we go to a firework uh, a display, we're not satisfied with the precursors. We're not satisfied with a little thunder flash or a couple of little, you know. We're, not, we're looking for the grand finale. And a firework display has to be like 10 minutes of grand finale or else it's not a good one, right? If you go down to... Walt Disney World, where they show, they have lights, uh, they have fireworks every single night. You'll know, they know, there's a formula to it. You want to keep the people coming back? Give them at least 10 minutes of, at least 10 minutes of unstoppable grand finale. That's the culture we live in. Every movie has to be better than the one before it. Every church service has to be a better show than the guy down the street. Or than last week's church service. If you're a charismatic church, there must be more demonstration of the Holy Spirit next week than there was last week, or else you've lost, you've lost your edge. Maybe the Holy Spirit has been grieved. I want to tell you that there is nothing wrong with regular, everyday, faithful commitment to family. More than that, it's not only not wrong, it's actually right. And it's actually the only way. If worship and our Christian living is based on pizzazz, more healings, more miracles, more words of knowledge, more acts of faith or gifts of faith, more missionary activity, more whatever, then it will be impossible, number one, for us to sustain it because it's way too expensive. Just, just ask me. I walk my legs off right now to try and raise money for a mission far, far away from home, and it is actually hard to make money doing that. It's hard to raise money, not make money. It's hard to raise money doing that. Although we did meet some people along the way yesterday who were very, very generous. On Friday, uh, sorry, not yesterday. It feels like yesterday. My legs are telling me it was yesterday. But uh, we did meet some people down in Barnstable Village, man. They were stumbling over themselves to hand us cash. 
when they heard what we were doing. I was so blessed. They didn't even know that we were a church group. When they found out that we were like, you know, one of those ministry groups that preaches about Jesus, they were like, huh, wish we hadn't given you money yet. <laughs> Can't take it back though. I'd already stuffed it in my pocket. Thank you. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But these beautiful people we met who were just so generous and uh, not Christians, or at least not that I know of, uh, one of them decidedly not, uh, but nevertheless gave anyway. Nevertheless, it's difficult to raise money for this stuff. So if we're looking for pizzazz, we can't afford it. You just can't afford it. Do you know how much it costs for one of those grand finales? And by the way, if you have a grand finale every single day, you know what happens? It's not grand anymore. It becomes boring. You're like, eh, it's too noisy. There's too much light. I think I'm going to have a stroke. It's like, psh, 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 psh. oh, I've had enough of that. The parking, oh my gosh. And you've got to walk 15 miles like Dan and Rita who parked one place and walked five miles and then five miles to try and find their car again. I remember your story. Yeah. You're like, we're not doing that again ever. <laughs> so here's the thing. If pizzazz is what we're looking for, and what we model to our children, they won't be able to afford the kind of Christianity that we're handing down. But if we can model faithful Christianity that has, at the end of the day, the same chairs, maybe a different screen, but, but still has place for the young one who did the acetate overheads to now sit with her children and worship God in the same place, Singing probably the same songs, actually. Hmm. We've had a few new ones since then. Had a new one today, thank you. But, but it's this, we get it in our minds that if it looks the same after five years or ten years, that it must be stale or dead or God's not blessing it. That's not true. When I go to my garden and I see the perennial flowers come back every year, I thank God. Because they're beautiful in their season. And there's a perennial nature to what's happening in this fellowship that is beautiful before God. 20 years ago when I took on the role as pastor of this church, God said to me, Eric, I want you to build a garden here. A garden of worship. Today we sang some songs that I wrote. And I saw you singing them with your arms raised. Worshipping Jesus. And I felt like maybe just for a minute... I've done a good job. Because together we've learned to speak that language. We're speaking the same language to the same God. The language of love and of commitment and of passion. The language of faithfulness. The language of gratitude. And we're singing those words together. And we're feeling them in our heart. And you know what? It's not pizzazz. But it's real. Please, I beg you, the ancient way is not attended with fireworks. What we need to do is eliminate from our expectation and the expectation of our children and of our grandchildren that God only works in fireworks. God is much more present in our need. God is a very present help. In time of need. Oh, he's present all the time. But he's a very present help in time of need. Right now, in the eyes of the world, we are, we are small. We are weak. We are needy. But in the eyes of God, we're like 
David, just before he slays Goliath, full of the Holy Spirit, activated, passionate, ready, because day after day we've taken up the stone in our sling and we've flung it at rocks and we've flung it at trees and we've, and we've knocked out this and that as we've practiced our skills and God knows that we are ready. And whether or not we face a Goliath is up to him, but we're ready for it because in the mundane, we've been faithful. I want you to feel right now the grace and the pleasure of God upon you, Living Hope Family Church. And those of you who have just joined us, you're part of it too. You're here at the right time right now. You're visiting today that you belong somewhere else. You're in the right place at the right time because this word is for you where you're at as well. I want you to feel the pleasure of God upon your life right now. I want you to know that the presence of the Lord is with you. And there is nothing that is too hard for the Lord. And so we're going to believe for it. We're going to believe God to break the unbreakable. We're going to believe him for impossible things. God's going to take us, Mark. These little guys who know enough to get ourselves in trouble. And he's going to take us and change the world. You asked who wants to go. I know you do. And you will. Because God sees you and God's prepared you and he's preparing you even now. And you hold on to that, my brother. I wanted to tell you about the way of worship and, uh, and the way of worship that we, that we should return to, this ancient path that God has given. That is not about the pizzazz, it's not about the platforms, and we've talked about it many times before, the smoke machines and the special fancy lights and the screaming electric guitars, although if we had an electric guitar, it would be amazing. A couple of weeks from now, Charlie Curtis will be back and he'll be playing an electric guitar right there. And, uh, and I'll be so excited that he's with us. It's going to be an amazing day. Just the day before we leave, or the day we leave for South Africa for our next trip. But Charlie will be here, October 30th. And, uh, and I'm so excited. But you know what? God doesn't need that to reach the heart of a generation. That's very expensive stuff. The equipment is expensive. Finding the right musicians is difficult. People with the right heart that are not just arrogant and proud and full of themselves, that turn the worship of God into worship of themselves. Finding all of that is difficult, but the Lord loves to put his family together and build them with the most unexpected, the most unexpected talents in the midst of them. We're so used to church being a certain way. If you think about, let's say you were going to go and start a church tomorrow, what would you need? Well, you'd think, okay, uh, church, uh, well, we need, a, we need a pastor, right? And uh, probably need um, an administrative team. And we probably need, uh, uh, we certainly need, um, if we're going to have a Sunday morning service, we need a building to do that in. And we probably need, uh, well, it's, hopefully it'll be people with kids, so we'll need kids workers. And Oh, and we definitely want to sing because... Americans love to sing, and that's just what we do. So we need to make sure we have a worship team, musical instruments, and stuff. Count the cost right now of everything that you've just said. I think about the Apostle Paul, saw Wednesday night Bible study, Apostle Paul going to Philippi, 
And in Philippi, he tried to find a, a place where they knew God had called them to go there, and there was no synagogue for them to go to. So they went down to the river because they expected at the river they would find people praying. And sure enough, they did. You know what they found? A whole bunch of women. Thank God for women. So somebody say, thank God for women. <laughs> and one of those women was a woman by the name of Lydia, and she was actually a very wealthy businesswoman. She had business in Thyatira. And she had business in Philippi, probably all along the way. She was a trader in purple, which was very, very expensive. Uh, the color purple was, was uh, uh, they got it from a, a certain kind of snail that they would use uh, as dye. It was very expensive stuff. And, uh, and so it would be like, imagine, I suppose, somebody who, who owned a whole bunch of Gucci stores. And she's down at the river to pray. And God gave her ears to hear what Paul was saying, the Bible says. And out of that, she got saved. Her household was baptized, and the church began in her home. There weren't enough men to make a synagogue. There wasn't a building for them. They were meeting at the river. There was no worship team. Didn't have any smoke uh, machines and, and fancy lights. They didn't have an overhead projector. <laughs> didn't have a sound, sound board for the sound guy. Sorry, Greg. They had none of that. But you know what they had? Exactly what they needed. Enough to take a mundane little group of people and turn them into a force that changed Macedonia. And their giving from that church, no doubt a lot of Lydia's giving, but maybe a whole bunch of others too, their giving funded the ministry of Paul all throughout the Roman world. It's an amazing thing. God loves to take mundane things. And I want to say, as we begin to worship and as we think about the ancient way, I want us to get out of our mind that we have to build what the world is expecting us to build in terms of a church. Because if you have that in your mind, you're going to come to church on Sunday morning, look around at the empty chairs, and you're going to start thinking that we're failing. And I want to tell you categorically, this church is not failing. This is one of the most active and beautiful and blessed churches I've ever seen. And I am honored to be a part of it. But the perspective that we have is shaped by something. Let, it, let us have our perspective shaped by the word of God and the ancient way, not by some newfangled thing. Even if it's 20, 30, 40, 50 years old, it's still newfangled. God's got an ancient way. And as we look to that, then we'll start to look at the people around us. Instead of seeing the empty chairs, we'll look at the full chairs and we'll see the people sitting in those full chairs and we'll begin to say, I want to know who that person is. I want to work together with them, bless them, encourage them. I don't want to be afraid of, my, of, of these people that have them as strangers. I want them to be my friends, my family and I want us together to make a difference and a difference doesn't have to look like pizzazz the difference looks like some beautiful act of the grace of God and it has its little perennial flowers that pop up every season so as we think about the ancient way of worship there are a different Characters in the Bible that we see, they give us uh, sort of highlights of, of worship and they give us a, a, a synopsis of worship in their, in their time and with them as kind of the leaders of a worship movement, as it were. I mean, obviously, when you think about worship, who's an Old Testament character that comes to mind? Anybody? 
Wow, look at that, we've got like three or four of them. Okay, I like that. But yes, the, the ubiquitous one, of course, is David, right? I mean, he wrote the book of Psalms, or many of the Psalms in there, uh, compiled this David. He's known as the worshiper, you know, the, the, the worshiping king. So we learn about worship through him. He, he creates instruments for the, for the, the temple of the Lord. He, he makes the, the plans, gathers the money to build the temple. His son builds the temple. Of course, David is the guy. Uh, but David is not is not the only one. You, you said there was there was Elijah who teaches us. There was Samuel who teaches us. Somebody else said uh, uh, Asaph, Asaph, uh, and Jeduthun. Uh, of course, there, there are there are others. But there are, you see, there are people who are teaching us worship who are not necessarily. We don't see them as worship leaders, but they actually teach us about God. Like Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, and he was high and lifted uh, and lifted up, and the train of his robe was filling the temple. Those words have become part of so many worship songs. And, um, uh, and, and Isaiah leads us in worship when he begins to prophesy about the coming Jesus. And, and even, uh, even in his famous prophecy, all we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid upon him the iniquities of us all. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, these words are so powerful. But there are, there are these characters, and I thought we could take a look at some of them as we examine the ancient way of worship. And I think each one builds upon the other, and they all give us a perspective of worship that's very important. So the one I wanted to start with was Abraham, because I think Abraham is the first person who kind of builds something as a worship model. And uh, there are others, you know, Noah worships the Lord. Of course, uh, um, Enoch walks with God and, and, and God just says, oh, I love your company, man. I'm taking you home. And so wouldn't that be cool? Uh, but, but I want to look at Abraham because I think his life is a powerful demonstration of the ancient way of worship. And I, I want to look at a couple verses because we really have eight minutes left on Greg's clock and I have minus one minute left on mine. So guess whose time? I'm going with <laughs> so Genesis chapter um, Genesis chapter 18 verse 19 actually gives us what God has to say about about Abraham. Genesis chapter 18, uh, the Lord has um, has met with Abraham and has just reminded him of, of his promise that he's going to give him a son. And Abraham is 99 years old. At this point, and uh, and God's basically saying, by this time next year, you're going to have a son. And Abraham and Sarah have both kind of laughed at God, you know, because it's just impossible. It's not a laugh of derision. It's a laugh of how can this even possibly be? And Lord, you know, we've been faithful to your promise all along. We've been trusting in you and waiting for this day, but it's a little bit too late, you know. And uh, and the Lord says in verse 14, is anything too hard? for the Lord. And, uh, and that's a really, really, really important uh, word for us today and a word for you and me in our mundaneness in the long straight stretch of, uh, of road that lies ahead of us. Is anything too hard for the Lord? But Abraham uh, and God have had this discussion and God is about to leave and he's on his way to go and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And, um, and he makes this comment. He talks to his traveling companions, must be angels, and, uh, and he says, should I tell Abraham what's going on? Listen to this. The Lord said, shall I hide, this is verse 17, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely be, become a great and mighty nation? Don't you love it? God sees Abraham. Abraham has one son, 
Ishmael at this point through Hagar, but it's not a son through Abraham and Sarah, uh, which is the promise of God. That hasn't happened yet. But God says, Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. Don't you love it? God's got so much more confidence than we do, doesn't he? And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. And here it is, verse 19. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. This is what God says about Abraham. I, I have chosen him. And I've chosen him for a reason. So that he can raise his family. So they can walk in righteousness and justice. So that I can bring about the promise that I have promised him. And he can live in it. Interesting. Why don't you just think about that for a minute? Abraham was a pretty rich guy, but he, he, lived a, he lived a life that wasn't actually kind of his life when he, when he set out. He, he, he was a city dweller, and God called him out of the city when he was 75 years old. And he dwelt in a tent as a pilgrim, a sojourner. Now, a pretty wealthy one, for that matter. He had good equipment. <laughs> I take my cue from him, by the way, when I buy equipment. so <laughs> Friends of mine have borrowed my equipment from time to time, and uh, I think they like the fact that I have good equipment. So Abraham had good equipment. But his life wasn't easy. Um, he had to move about because he had flocks and herds. He wasn't, he wasn't farming with, uh, with fields and, and growing uh, grains and so forth. He had to move his flocks around in herds because they needed to eat. And, um, and so when there was famine or there was drought, Abraham couldn't stay in a place. You have to move. And, uh, and that makes it difficult. So you never really become settled down in one place. You're kind of just always uh, not at home. And that was part of what Abraham had given to the Lord. When the Lord said, come, he gave it up. He gave up his security. He gave up that place of you know, being in the city, surrounded by other people. You've got armies that will fight for you. The king of the city, his armies will fight for you. There's commerce. There's all kinds of, of things. There's a grocery store. You can go down. And I'm pretty sure they had some version of a grocery store, marketplaces in Ur of the Chaldees and, and, uh, and in, in, in Haran. I'm sure they had these places. But Abraham had to leave that behind and go off and essentially trust God for the provision. And even though he was wealthy, it was still not comfortable. Now, some of us are reasonably well off. But as pilgrims in the Lord, it's still uncomfortable, isn't it? It's uncomfortable to be a Christian out loud in front of your community. Some of you are business owners, and you know it, it's costly when people find out that you're Christians and that you actually don't hide your Christianity and your business is... Uh, you, I mean, you do good work and you, and you run your business well, but when people ask questions, they find out that you're actually a believer. And that can really be costly. Think about the, the, the cake bakers uh, 
a guy in Seattle, right? And uh, and how expensive that was for him when he said, no, you know what? I, I have the rights to uh, to make a cake for whoever I want to make and and not make a, not be forced to make a cake for something I don't believe in, and uh, and that cost him dearly. In the same way, Abraham as a pilgrim had to go through expenses like that, and and just because he had wealth doesn't mean that his life was easy. His life was definitely not easy. Also, he was a stranger in a strange land. And the people that were around him didn't recognize him as part of them. Every time they came upon him, it was like Abraham the sojourner. Here's Abraham the pilgrim. Here's Abraham the, the Hebrew, you know, the, the offspring of Heber. And, uh, and Abraham doesn't belong in this country. He's one of those highfalutin guys from Ur of the Chaldees. And we're Canaanites, you know, but uh, we, we just like to let you know, we hillbilly Canaanites, we, we don't like you fancy city dwellers, all of you, you know, latte drinkers and so forth. And we, you know, you, you don't have any portion of us. We just want you to know, stay off of our land, you know, and uh, and Abraham had to live with that. I mean, did you see the negotiation that he had to get in order to buy a piece of land to bury his wife? You ever read that part of the story? But God had called him to raise a family. <laughs> I would say that the way of worship for Abraham was this. Raise a family. That's what worship looks like. Raise a family. Raise a family to honor God by walking in righteousness and justice. Abraham didn't have a son, but he had all those people that were with him. And they did walk in righteousness and justice. The 318 of his men that went with him to go and rescue Lot when Sodom and Gomorrah were taken over by the kings of the east. They did righteousness and justice. Abraham's men. Ultimately, when, when, God, uh, when God said, you know, when Isaac came and God gave Isaac to, them, to him and Abraham circumcised his family, he circumcised uh, Isaac and he circumcised all of, his, all of his men. They were all circumcised, his whole family, because they honored God and lived righteously. In other words, the costly nature of their faith didn't just cost Abraham and his wife Sarah, but it cost everybody that was associated with his group. Everybody. And I think that the way of worship ought to work like this. The ancient way of worship is, in our household, we honor Jesus. So mom and dad, you guys honor Jesus. And your responsibility is raise your children to honor Jesus. This is worship. This is worship. This is not pizzazz. But you raise your children to do righteousness and justice. In the name of Jesus. And then you extend that. If you're a business owner, you extend it to your business. Your business does righteousness and justice. You pay your bills on time. You pay your employees first. You honor God with what you do. You don't do things that dishonor the Lord. You pay the cost of circumcision, as it were, in order that your business may honor the Lord, because this is what worship looks like. The ancient way, therefore, causes us to have an influence in the community around us. Now, as you look at Abraham's life, and I'm, oh, I'm just getting going now. I'm just kicking into gear, but we've got to end. As, as you look at Abraham's life, the people around him, the Canaanites around him, did not convert to his way of worship. But Abraham still blessed them 
Because wherever Abraham was blessed, God poured out blessing. Whoever blesses Abraham gets blessed by God. Whoever curses Abraham gets cursed by God. And so in the communities that we live, we need to make it easy for people to bless us. There will be people who curse us because they're just cursers. Because they're scoffers, they mock God and don't believe. But there are many people who are sort of ambivalent. They're just in between. They're ready to grab $20 out of their pocket and hand it to a person walking by because they're walking for charity. And you know what? Those people will be blessed because in blessing us, the children of Abraham, they will receive Abraham's blessing. And we need to make it easy for that to happen. And interestingly enough, as part of Abraham's worship, when Sodom and Gomorrah were to be destroyed by God, what did Abraham do? He interceded on their behalf. He didn't say, yeah, punish them, Lord, kill them. Get rid of those filthy sinners. They make life difficult. They've led Lot and his family astray. Yes, Lord, destroy them. I sang in our worship today that we make war. We wage war against this culture. We do, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through God for the tearing down of strongholds. We wage war against the culture, not, not in the way the world wages war, but we wage war in prayer, and we wage war by worship. And we worship God by teaching our children to live righteously and with justice. Abraham interceded on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah, and so should we, to the point where God was talked down to, if there are ten righteous people, I'll save the whole city for just those ten. Abraham wasn't pleading for the righteous. He was pleading for the ungodly. Are you pleading for the ungodly? Come on, Living Hope Family Church. Let's be those who plead for the ungodly around us. God, have mercy. If we have to walk across down Main Street in the middle of a pandemic to say, Jesus, have mercy, then let's do it. Let's plead with God for mercy for our neighbors and our community and our you know what? We've got an election coming up in a few weeks' time. We ought to be praying about that. That's going to dramatically affect everybody's life on Cape Cod and in Massachusetts. Our governor, who, whoever our next governor is, is going to make decisions that affect your life and mine. Whoever the next uh, uh, district attorney is, is going to affect your life and mine. And the people around us, they'll be affected by that. We need to pray that righteousness and justice are upheld. And we need to vote according to our conscience, but for righteousness and justice. And we need to be interceding on behalf of this. We need to be praying. Don't just let it slip by and then stand back and say, well, the world's going to be the world. They will. But God can still be pleaded with. How about 10, Lord? If it's just 10 righteous, will you save all the rest of them for those 10? Yes. Yes, Abraham, I will. When Sodom and Gomorrah were taken captive, Abraham went out and fought to free them. He didn't take any spoil from them. He said, you will not make me rich. He didn't receive accolades from them. But he fought for righteousness and justice to restore them and to let the captives go free. In the same way, you and I ought to do that. That's worship. The ancient way of worship is this. It's not, it's not just the singing that David teaches us with guitars. And there is place for smoke machines, by the way, and lights. And fireworks are nice once in a while. And that's okay, and I think God enjoys a celebration. But we don't live in celebration, in celebration mode. We don't live in 4th of July mode. We live in every other day. 
as well as the 4th of July. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you have called us as you called Abraham. You've made promises to us in Christ Jesus. The promises of Abraham have been passed on to us because we've been adopted into the family. Because of Jesus. So in blessing we are blessed and those who bless us will be blessed. Father, teach us then to worship you by raising our family, building a garden of worship in our own homes. Let our Monday night prayer times and family times and gathering around the table and laughing and switching off the TV and having dinner, candlelit dinner, or just sitting at the dining room table once a week with our family, let that be so rich. Let our Monday nights become our Tuesday nights and our Wednesday nights and every night. May our days be filled with the beautiful shalom of God. Let us sense your presence and walk in the fragrance of the knowledge of you. And let us be that fragrance in the world around us. And Lord, have mercy on our neighbors and have mercy on us. And may we live our worship, even as Abraham did, expensive as it was. For you are worthy. I ask for your grace and blessing on Living Hope Family Church today. And thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.